Hi, this is Holly Throsby, and I'm here to wish 2SER a happy 40th birthday. Welcome to Film Fight Club, and happy 40th birthday, 2SER. We haven't been around that long, but 2SER has and, and will, and we'll be reviewing Fast and Furious 32 in 40 years' time, most likely. I hope not. What a, what a dark note to begin this episode, <laughs> know, right? as befitting for one where we review the dystopic visions of Joker and Gemini Man. Yes. Dystopic visions of Gemini Man, <laughs> not very that dystopic. But 40 is a new 20, so, you know, good on you, TSCR. You're pretty young, you know, you're pretty hip. Yeah, good on you. Happy, congratulations, starting out in 1989, yeah? yeah. It was 1999, 40 is the new 20. Yeah, unlike us, you know, we'll be like the great beauty in like 40 years or something, you know, the, the hip like cool the old, dads of the old, film club. The literary elites who just party all day and everyone's like, when's your new novel going to come out? That sounds like a great never. life. Oh, people, people used to ask me that at, at university and I've got so sick of that that I just I decided not to write anything or <laughs> <laughs> basically never finish my draft so there is there is my novel there you go guys I got you in the end so the, so the message is don't ask us to write anything we'll we'll, we'll just, just speak yeah. it at you yeah because we'll just word vomit and it'll be like pretty intellectual it's because this uh, th- these pretty intellectuals are Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, Chris Evans, Sydney filmmaker and freelance writing critic for Right Nehru. We have a big show because tomorrow in cinemas are two very prominent features, probably the two biggest features of October, which are Gemini Man, the new film by Ang Lee with Will Smith and Will Smith. And Will Smith versus Will Smith. Which we'll be talking about later in the program. But first, we are talking about the movie probably of the month, one of the most uh, already contentious before it came out. Joker, new film from Hangover director Todd Phillips. Kind of confusingly <laughs> steeped in controversy that makes even less sense than it did uh, before once you see the film. Yeah, it, the, the controversy is uh, unmerited. Before we get into that, we should describe what the film is. It is the new film starring Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro and Zazie Beetz about the titular Joker, the Batman villain. It is the third Actually, play the Joker in twelve years now, following Heath Ledger, and there was someone else a couple of years ago. I don't remember. Yeah, Jared Leto. He wasn't um, great. This this Joker is the first one that we've seen become the Joker through circumstances more elaborate than falling into a chemical bath. This is the, the gritty great, gritty origin story film for the Joker. Yeah, set in New York with very strong overtones of set in, set in Gotham, which is bit modeled extremely it, it, closely it, it, on seventies New York. It's just New York. Let's but, face but it. But that's like saying like Dark Knight is set in Chicago. It's set in Gotham. <laughs> to be to be pedantic. Okay, fair, but I will say this is so uh, derivative of Mean Streets, Taxi much, Driver, The King of Comedy. Yeah, this is this is basically. I love seventies New York filmmaking. I love Martin Scorsese. I'm going. Let's do that as a Joker film. Even casting Robert De Niro. Even casting Robert De Niro in a role that reflects his earlier role in The King of Comedy. But playing the Jerry Lewis role. That's right. Play, he's the talk show host who the Arthur Fleck, as this version of the Joker is known, looks up to and wishes to one day be on, on the show. It was kind of strange for me seeing Robert De Niro doing his joke monologues here because I just rewatched King of Comedy a few weeks ago. and Much better film. Uh, well, yeah, of course. But um, Robert De Niro is still delivering jokes in the same kind of way. The intonation's the same. He's funny. And it was his funny, first yeah. mainstream comedic role. Like he went on to analyze this, meet the parents, but he's, I think it's still his best comedic turn. This is very different. This is primarily a drama. We are getting into controversy in a moment, and what we I think the thing the thing is it, it is film. primarily a drama. It's meant to be a gritty, hard edged kind of take. But watching it, I thought that the comedic aspects of this film are the best. 
when they appear, um, it, it can really disarm you with how inappropriate it's willing to go with the humor, the kind of awkward and strange situations. There is potential here for a really savagely ironic satire, but I don't think that um, Phillips has really leaned into that enough. I think the political side of the film needs to be further developed um, for this film to really come alive satirically. But, you know, the comedy is such a big part of the Joker, the character. Even even really scary, dark interpretations of him, like Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, had moments of, of hilarious pranks, right? There were exceptional moments of kind of my favorite moments in the film were ones in his apartment, later in the film, one in a hospital, yeah, um, one th- at the very end. Moments. And my absolute favorite moment in the film was a silent one where he's just dancing on a train platform and does it exceptionally well, but also um, gearing into the darker aspects of the movie. And that's the one thing I will not criticize about it, Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro. They're both excellent. I actually won't fault their performances. I really enjoyed both of them in this film. As a performance piece, it's great, but as a narrative, as a drama, there are well, many the, the detractions. The issue is that it's so simple. Um, it's, it's really too simple for a film that's trying to grapple with current zeitgeist kind of ideas. Um, because this film in, involves a popular... Um, I, I, I guess a popular movement against the system and it involves populist politicians definitely Trumpism is a factor that's that's gone into inspiring this screenplay both um, there's the Thomas Wayne character in here seems like an analog for Trump in a lot of ways in that he's um, it, to give some context to what I'm talking about Batman's dad, Thomas Wayne, is running for mayor in this film as the CEO of the big company, Wayne Enterprises. Um, he runs on a populist, take back the, the system kind of platform. Um, he's boorish. He, he definitely evokes Trump in, in a bunch of ways. But the Joker himself also seems to evoke Trump. This is definitely a post-Trump movie um, in the way that he is a we hate the system that's failed us, let's tear it all down alternative that people turn to because they don't believe in the systems that are supposed to support them and keep them healthy. And that's reflective of the reasoning that a lot of people gave for Trump's victory, that people just hate the system so that they were looking for an agent of chaos to destroy things and tear things down. And that that's pretty much how the, the clown uprising in this film is depicted. So there was room for some really trenchant satire here, but the main reason why I think it doesn't work is that you don't really get into the psychology or the politics of people's grievances enough. So instead, it's easy to just see the uprising of people as just sort of being petty, angry little people that are held at a bit of a remove from us. I I think the film has a really nasty edge to it in terms of not presenting much hope um, or redeeming features to humanity. In terms of the political commentary in this film... I believe Phillips tried to keep it relatively politically neutral because he knew that either side oh, of the political, all Hollywood blockbusters are that either side of the political divide could either harness it or object very strongly, and this could have any impact on ratings, on ticket sales, either way. In terms of the Joker character, yes, he is a Trumpy figure in respects, but he is deliberately neutral. The Thomas Wayne character, less so. However, you could argue that the people who are against him are more of people who wouldn't aren't supposed to be analogous to the Trump supporters, or at least who in the context of um, general Hollywood who would be more critical of Trump wouldn't 
Uh, but what I'm, what I'm essentially trying to say is the people who are antagonistic to the Thomas Wayne character more broadly are meant to represent the left and uh, the right in politics or typical Trump supporters. So it's a muddled commentary, but in being muddled and trying to be bl- and trying to be open ended, well, it's actually uh, lacks a lot of direction and, I, and consequentially vitality. What I was saying about the Joker when you were saying he's politically neutral, and I was comparing him to Trump, he is, but isn't also kind of Trump. Like he he obviously rides a very strongly political platform, but it, ultimately it seems like he's an opportunist, and what he's really out for is furthering his own ends. You could say the same about the Joker. I, I wouldn't it's, say the Joker's a populist. I'd say he's opportunist. Yeah, he's an opportunist. Joker isn't isn't so much a, a populist. That would be Thomas Wayne. I guess the point I'm trying to say is that it's not a direct analogy, but a lot of this film seems to have been written with the zeitgeist about Trump in mind in terms of the commentary about the ways the swaying sympathies of the people of Gotham and the the ways that that they can be riled up and I think the idea that people turn to an agent of chaos because the system fails them is an interesting one but it would be nice if you could care about any of the characters in here like I was saying about like the meanness of this film um, you don't really care about anyone and the whole narrative is engineered in order to make this brewing psychopath Joker character snap um, so it results in flattening out everybody so that there's nothing to care about. There's, there's a fundamental disconnect with this movie, which it does apply to, I think, the unreasonable uh, invective, which is be, invective which has been thrown at this film, even though people had the opportunity to see it. Now, the Joker, were this a, the, the whole film has the beats and style of a typical hero origin story. However, the Joker is obviously a villain, or to most people, he very much is. And in this, and because of that, while it has the stylings of what we see with Thor or any other character, or Batman, for instance, being the classic archetype, on that note, there are it's a hero terrible harkbacks to Batman's own narrative imagery we've seen in way too many films. When it comes to the Joker, we aren't allowed to empathize with or able to empathize with as much because he is not a hero. He is statedly a bad person who we see doing bad things but and we is, cannot empathize but he, to the degree we would like to or would normally but here's with a the hero narrative. issue I have with the way he's presented. The um you you're not going to empathize with him as a hero, right? But the film is still uh, afraid to make him completely unsympathetic. Like you see like he's definitely a psychopath. He definitely does terrible fil- things. But the, all the people that he really goes after, the film uh, sets up like oh maybe they deserved it I, I don't oh, there are absolutely exceptions to that I, do, I don't think that the film is um is on the side of the Joker or justifying him I'm just saying that a more bold film that would would really show more of the destructive edge of who the Joker is um, would maybe show him going after people who haven't done anything um, I haven't sh- wronged him in any way I, I actually disagree I think this meant if not Half of the people who he targets or come we'll under him. We need to discuss this with spoilers next week. Aren't, are absolutely betrayed. I can't really respond. <laughs> compl- fair. And we will do spoilers discussion next week. I'll absolutely portrayed as sympathetic characters, and I would describe those close to him and some people we see throughout the narrative. Um, in terms of this movie, there's been a lot of discussion as to whether this promotes or is uh, violence or no, violence among doesn't. and whether this is problematic. I don't believe it does. Broadly, I think there are many reasons for this. This partly due to the fact that, for, as I said, Joker is portrayed as not just an unsympathetic character, but a tragic figure. Moreover, if you look at the stylings and the way they promote the figure, he, with one musical cue, except for one musical cue, which I found a little jarring and um, tonally distinct, it's not, they don't, he's not a celebrated figure. 
the film does have some superhero imagery and what we would see in superhero origin story as said before however it is he is not um lauded in the way you would when say batman appeared among the crates and batman begins or thor appeared holding the hammer for the first time however like like when i was saying before that i feel like the movie you can kind of it's obviously not what the film is saying but you can read it like these people deserved it the film is still kind of setting you up to want to see the release of Joker going going out and being evil. It, it's that kind of narrative. Downtrodden guy, he gets his revenge. Um, so I can understand why some people will take issue with framing the film in this way. It definitely is interesting. Um, it's more interesting than you would expect a villain superhero origin movie be. To, to, that we have this almost like a rise of a hero story, except it's about a psychopathic madman. Um, yeah. And that we have to rely that audiences broadly speaking will not have this takeaways because they will see that no, Todd Phillips and the crew behind it are not lauding this figure well, do not he's, he, are not setting him up as an example I uh, just playing devil's advocate I'm wondering what's wrong with even if let's say it is a heroic story of a madman and a psychopath what's wrong with that I agree I don't think that it, it necessarily um, I look it really depends on the tone of the film I think something like that could could be great if the film had more of an archly ironic tone but yeah, it doesn't like, like American Psycho kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't. That's probably the Joker film I'd like to see. <laughs> a, a hilarious, ironic hero rises kind of story. Yeah, because you mentioned the, the, the when element. Todd Phillips is trying to be funny. That actually it works. Yeah, it's it's it's. There's some quite uh, effective dark humor in here. Um, but an, it's too afraid to to lean into the comedy. And there's another element too that um, cannot be ignored. This is one of the only on-screen depictions of the Joker, whether it be the most fast, if not the only one, whether it be the farcical Cesar Romero ones of the '60s or obviously the great example still Heath Ledger in 2008 but the Joker here is not an intelligent figure in he's all a loser the, in all, not, not, no it's not even that he's a loser it's that he's not he's what he when, it, when it succeeds it's not because he is calculating methodical it's just because in, of in the killing joke in all the comics this is uh, reportedly based on in all the on-screen and small-screen adaptations, Joker is a very intelligent human being, and as a consequence of that, he's able to achieve what he does. Here, he is not, and for more of that reason, I don't think it can be held up as someone who the filmmakers want people to emulate. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I don't. I do, to be honest, I don't think we even really need to indulge this that much. It's it's been blown up out of proportion in the media this idea that this film's going to radicalize people and make them into mass shooters or whatever which is being trumpeted by people who haven't even seen the film um i don't think the film's good but i'll definitely defend it against that kind of nonsense um he's clearly when i was saying he's a loser before it's just that he's really pitiful um he in fact what's interesting here is how much he's depicted as like literally a psychopath like he's he's unable to uh, understand for example what makes other people laugh so he studies and takes notes. Um, it's it's interesting because we've never really seen Joker depicted that way. But um, this film kind of bends itself out of shape to try and work in some Batman origin stuff, which um, when really just the simple, you know, rise of a villain story was enough. Um, but it, it's not to this film's benefit for you to actually consider that this guy is going to be the Joker who's Batman's arch nemesis because there's no way that a guy this dumb... Um, no. It could, it could Rega- ever regarding be the, the the legendary Joker figure. Regarding the treatment of Batman, think of... I'm not a fan of the series Gotham, but the way they treat Batman in this, he's a side note. It could well just done without the figure. He's a similar age he's in there, this too. He's, there he's not needed. He's no, there because he's Batman, and people yeah. want to see Batman. We need to sell a movie with Batman. He's there because it's the Joker, and, and Joker has to have Batman. So wait, Batman is part of this... 
Sort of. From, from, uh, anyway. But not. Not Spe- really. Not, not especially. He didn't even need Bruce to be Bruce Wayne is in the film. Yeah. yeah. But, and but it's interesting uh, to think about it that if the Joker is a pathetic figure in, in that sense, um, it's an interesting revisionist perspective. I mean, you know, uh, why, it's, why not? It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a different take. Um, there are interesting things about the film. Um, it's just that ultimately it's following a predictable path and there's not much depth to the characterization or the politics so it's just kind of like a foregone conclusion movie with this grimdark kind of aesthetic, and it just feels pointless and, at the end of the day. And two final points. The fact that he's not an intelligent figure makes him a much less engaging figure. Certainly uh, the, what, how the Joker is able to scheme in The Dark Knight less and others makes him, and for good, that, that is what has made him such a memorable character. And lastly, this is not really a comic book movie. The Dark Knight... At least, yes, it was based on reality and all that, and people didn't have superpowers, but it had the aesthetics of a comic book. This, except for the fact that Arthur Fleck seems in, impervious and invincible to any pain, which uh, many depictions of the Joker have been, there is no element of this which would render this anything other than a straightforward um, tr- drama drama tragedy. And I go to films, I, I, there are plenty of those. I wouldn't mind some more greater comics aesthetics interspersed throughout the movie. We did see it's, a little bit at the very end. It's too much about being plain. It's too much about studying the Scorsese 70s aesthetic. And, um, it, you know, I'd like, yeah, I'm always up for more crazy aesthetics. But this is a real world movie about today. That's the Joker. Yeah. Which I would still say is worth seeing for the two performances we've highlighted, which are very good. Yeah. The performances are really good, but, yeah, but is, I, I wouldn't is, recommend is, the film. Is that enough? Okay. Yeah. No, it's not for me. I thought this is one of Joaquin Phoenix's best roles. It's very reminiscent of his performance in The Master as this kind of unhinged oh, guy who's okay. prone to you know laughing at, at weird moments and alienating people. No, I'm just missing it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. a better film. Oh, it was almost cast as the, it was rumored to be cast as a penguin at one point. Yeah. So we're going to be going to a quick break, and we'll be back after this talking all things Gemini Man. Stay tuned. We absolutely love our supporters at 2SER. To give back, we have regular supporter-only giveaways with tickets to gigs, movies, the theatre, exhibitions and more. Look out for 2SER e-news in your inbox to see what you could win. Stories, ideas, music and free stuff. You win! Poetic, moving and immersive. Their Sea is Always Hungry is a new solo exhibition by Australian Balinese artist Layla Stevens at UTS Gallery. The exhibition explores Bali's hidden histories, tracing the present-day impact of Indonesia's 1965 anti-communist massacres and the rise of Bali as an island paradise in the popular. On their own, Mia Dyson, Liz Stringer and Jen Clower have created much-loved songs throughout their careers, but together they team up for an immense debut album in Dyson Stringer Clower. Recorded at Wilco's Loft Studios, Dyson Stringer Clower is as heartfelt as it is catchy, and it's the new 2SER feature album. Listen to Breakfast, Drive and Static for your chance to win a copy. Dyson Stringer Clower, the feature album on 2SER 107.3. Stories, ideas, music. This supporter drive, we've got some fantastic prize packs for our supporters. We've got six prize packs up for grabs, including the Blues Fest ticket pack, the Family Weekender, the Sydney Scene, Brewery and Beats, the Vinyl Lover and the Bookworm Night in Packs. Tune in this supporter drive from October 11th to 25th for more information and sign up as a supporter to go into the draw. 2SER, celebrating 40 years of supporter-funded radio.
on the money is recommended for mature audiences only. It may and probably will contain explicit financial language, strong business themes, economic violence, coarse financial accounting, nudity and credit references. 2SCR recommends discreet listening once per week at 7pm Thursdays. This October, 2SCR is celebrating 40 years of supporter-funded radio. As part of the festivities, join us on Friday, October 4 for a very special edition of The Bands Next Door live from the loft at UTS. Expect to be charmed and heartbroken by folk maiden Lisa Caruso. Thrilled by the rock and roll sounds of cult outfit The Holy Soul and get that warm embrace of classic indie styles thanks to Bland. Doors from 7, music from 8 and free entry all night. To a CR, 40 years of stories, ideas and live music. Welcome back to Film Fight Club and a very happy 40th birthday again to 2SCR. Now we are talking the next, we talked about The Joker, which is in cinemas tomorrow. The next one we talk about also in cinemas tomorrow is Ang Lee's new thriller, drama, Will Smith times two action extravaganza, Gemini Man. Yeah, Gemini Man. Well, Gemini Man is the new film by Ang Lee. It's been in development hell for about two decades now, right, almost yeah. two decades. And the, the current version we have doesn't resemble what you might have heard of this film years and years ago, yeah. back when it was a sci-fi near future thing. Um, basic Jerry Bruckheimer decided he didn't like it being a sci-fi <laughs> and it should be set in the future and now basic sorry it should be set in the present day and now all that remains really is the name and the basic concept yeah I mean I two was, clones uh, you know yeah. an original versus his younger clone essentially I mean it, this would have been amazing if it was two Will Smiths uh, in a Valerian a thousand city of you know planets so kind of vibe eye popping sci-fi it's, world it's set today it's set today it's set today oh, Harry, face off you know yeah, it's, it's yeah exactly the same thing happened with face off yeah also the biggest problem is Will Smith doesn't age yes I was going you to know? get to that the, the, <laughs> the thing is this concept is something that um, it's been like a holy grail for a lot of people in VFX because the reason the film didn't wasn't made originally decades ago was that it, um, after testing it was decided that a realistic CG face wasn't ready. So now that the technology is finally there for us to do it near perfectly, and guess what? They nail it. It looks amazing. Who do they cast? Will Smith, a guy who doesn't who? look actually that different to how he looked 20 years ago. Basically. He's, he, he's, he's a great-looking guy. He's kept himself up. No, no, no. Yeah, he looked like if they want to show off... Like the young Will Smith looks basically perfect, but if you want to show off this technology, somebody who who has maybe a few more wrinkles would have been a good choice. Yeah, like they just cut his hair. They just give him a different haircut. No, it's basically Will Smith is, from Bad it, Boys. It's a one hundred percent CG young Will Smith, and yeah. it looks like photo real. But yeah. why? Um, it it does look like Bad Boys. Yeah, he he does, and, and um, it's it's great. It looks amazing in close-ups. It's amazing. I would but, like, but but also no 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 problems with the effects. Be, be, before we get to the the problems, which there are many. I mean, let's point out some of the good things about this movie, which is the effects, one of the best, best things. Uh, the, the scenes, it's actually one of the better 3D movies, if I can call it that, the because CG's the actual 3D use is actually very clever and very real. I mean, you can actually point out the, very, the depth of field in, some, in 3D, which you can't usually tell in a lot of movies. There's beautiful um, first-person shots that come in a few times, like during one motorcycle chase, it really stood out, where you can see the handlebars in front of your face and the... Uh, things in the distance getting closer to you. Really impressive. Can I just clarify? So wait, Will Smith is after Will Smith? Is that what's happening? What happens is um, Will Smith, because of some dumb reasons that don't matter, in the, at the beginning now knows too much, and now he's going to get chased by um, the young Will Smith that his evil boss, Clive Owen, is sending after him. Yeah. Um, oh, hence so, the Valerian reference. Hence the okay. Valerian. Yeah. yeah, it was fresh in our minds. Seeing so, Clive Owen. Yeah, and, um, and we have the... 
the Cara Delevingne of this film, which is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is actually is a good really actor, good, but in this she's good film, in everything. she's good. But in this film, there are lots of moments where she has such a lame, kind of underwritten character that you could see visibly on her face that she's thinking, "What am I supposed to be emoting yeah. in this scene?" But the high frame rate um, effects and combination with the three D and four K are a big, uh, big selling point of the film. The tech of Ang Lee shooting this in one hundred twenty frames per second. No uh, projectors around here are ready for that, so we saw it in sixty frames per second in four K. 3D. Um, it actually looks great. It's it's. Uh, I adjusted to it much more so than in The Hobbit. Maybe it's an easier sell in a contemporary location than a fantasy one. Um, but there, are, it, it it looks strange. But there, you adjust to it quickly, especially in the action scenes. It's a, it's kind of a godsend because it means that there's no more kind of. Um, juddery effect when the hand when the camera gets shaky yeah. or when things pan mm-hmm. and there's moments in here that really sell it in combination with the 3d there's a moment where will smith is dreaming and we see um something taking place under the water oh, with yeah. people swimming towards the camera and the colors changing and in this effect it's so lifelike and hallucinatory yes that it did sell me on the idea that this could be a this is a, as long as people can uh, let go of the sentimental association that everything has to be in 24 frames per second. I think this is a totally valid and val- valuable yeah. way to make films in the future. It, it's, yeah. I was sold on everything technical about this film. Yeah, un- unfortunately, the things that are binding the technical aspects aren't that strong. And one of the most lame things about this film is the dialogue writing. And the, It's so obvious. The, the David the, Benioff of Game <laughs> of Thrones is the, the top credited writer here. Yeah, and, and you know what he did with season eight, so you know you can imagine what he does he with this movie. He rush season eight to make this movie did he because i don't know if he did oh, this movie's been know. going but so long in the in the right within the works that but the thing is like the, the kind of exposition in this movie and the, it's it doesn't do any kind of showing and doesn't establish any kind of actual motif and emotional connection there's so much exposition where you're just supposed to believe because will smith is just recounting so much narrative and backstory yes and he he not only does he tell you about the exposition but he tells you about things he's feeling but the film never shows them yeah. Um. I, one of the things that stood out to me about the weakness of the characterization is this guy's meant to be a, a hitman for a government agency. He should definitely have some kind of dark side, but the film is it keeps him way too nice. He just seems like he's just just charming, likable Will Smith, and it feels way too kind of clean and sunny and upbeat. But he tells us about his dark side. Yeah. We never actually get to see it. Exactly. And 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 part of the problem is actually the Will Smithness of it all. And and I would I would say. Will Smith is actually the drawback, not only because of the casting, but also because of the persona of Will Smith. I mean, we're just so used to Will Smith playing Will Smith. There, he, he's not playing a character. And this film demanded someone with a gritty kind of take. You know, someone you could believe who has some kind of burden on his shoulder. Yes. But he, Will Smith has no he, chip on his shoulder. Yeah, he's just Will Smith of, being, you know, charming, fresh Prince of Bel Air yeah. 2.0. I think you woke up to the jungle where the rock just keeps going, I have a dark side. I'm going to unleash hell right now. Don't worry. It's coming. I it, promise you it's coming. Yeah, yeah it, it's exactly like that. Especially. It's, but here it's like dreams and ghosts and, you know, I can't sleep. Oh, there's, there's, Mirrors. I haven't looked at a mirror in a long time. Oh there's something God. strange about how it's all these kind of, like, long speeches. Um, they're like, this movie really wants you to invest in the characters outside of the action. Um, but as we've said before, the writing's terrible. On paper, I think it's admirable that Ang Lee wanted to make a film that has a, that's kind of like light entertainment kind of serious with but without ever going into the kind of ironic snarky everyone's quipping all the time marvel thing and that actually wants you to invest in some characters and some themes but the actual writing to carry that is so rudimentary where the film actually shines is the action it's really well choreographed um 
I, yeah, you, you can definitely see that the same guy who did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons here. There's some really nice um, use of depth to show you details happening in the background and the foreground at the same time. Um, there is one hilarious scene of Will Smith lying on the ground trying to like adjust oh, yeah, his framing yeah. shot, but just cracked me up because the cutaway was hilarious and you don't expect it. Um, uh, but yeah. that wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of things I in this know. film. I kind of, when it ended, I was just kind of confused because it, it, it's... It's just strange going between like a dark clone thriller to this like light sitcom kind of vibe. Yeah, kind of throughout, it oscillates between a Hallmark movie and like a dark kind of I don't know whatever. But if you're half expecting Jennifer Love Hewitt to pop up, I, to, for me though, it does have the best action of the year. So if you're into great chase scenes, great shootouts, um, in with eye popping visual effects and great new technology to show it to you, um, I recommend it. It's just that there isn't enough of that. And uh, everything else is yeah. really weak. And it's, and it's too long. It, it could have sh- been so good. On paper, no. it seems good. Anyway. Yeah. So the film that on paper seems good is Gemini Man. Basically a generic action movie. In, with no, two no, 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 no. In terms of action, it's not. In actually. terms of action, it's not. But, no. but can just the concept. The, the, the sum of it all, kind of the Ang, whole part. Ang Lee can do better. And he has done better. Yeah. In cinemas tomorrow, as is Joker. We'll be back next week with Hustlers Review, which is in cinemas the following Thursday. Um, I've got a lot of great buzz coming out of Toronto. Um, certainly it's been tailed out of this Jennifer Lopez's best performance and best film, so we look forward to that. We'll also be talking about Joker's spoiler discussion on the podcast, which we're looking forward to. It's really a film you've got to delve deep into spoilers to. And starting a new segment, which we're very keen on, which is the movie of the week, where not necessarily in cinemas, but something we love or hate, or something we just want to discuss from years past. And we're going to um, wax lyrical on, well, next week, the most underrated film of 2016, Susami Man, which deserves much more attention. Me and Virat have some strong thoughts on Glenn thinking that, which is why we thought it would be a perfect film to begin our movie yes, of the week segment know, with. Yeah. You Glenn, might, Glenn loves this movie. We kind of not love The gloves will be off, and you might actually get to hear a good fight on Film yeah, Fight Club. Yeah, actually bringing back the fight. So bring back the biff. And, next Wednesday. And stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin 2. This has been Glenn Fangs and Chris Evans of Rotten Nehru. Happy birthday to SCR. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye.